0: Hey, everybody, this is Brian back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today I've got with me Christine Carlson. And, Christine, this is going to be a really interesting interview. Uh, Christine is the co-author with her late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson, of the New York Times bestselling uh, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff books. It's a whole series of books. Uh, She's been featured this fall as a subject of a biopic Lifetime movie based on her book, which is called Heartbroken Open." A true story of coming alive again after profound loss. She's the host of her own podcast, "Don't Sweat the Small Stuff" podcast. She's a leader of women's retreats. She's been she's done quite a bit in terms of trying to help people understand how to navigate life and also how to navigate loss, which makes her just a great episode, a great guest for our episode of Grief to Grow. So, with that, I want to rec- uh, welcome Christine Carlson.
2: Hi, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on. This is a beautiful podcast.
0: Thanks. I really am excited to have you here. Um, I was interested when you uh, reached out to me. I actually have uh, one of your books. I've had this for like years. So, and you can see it's well worn. It's got like a big stain on it.
2: Is that family? Um, That's don't this, sweat the small stuff with your family. Don't sweat
0: the small stuff with your family. Yeah, I think I guess, recommend.
2: I, I recognize the border of it. <laughs> I don't yeah, see the words. <laughs> I'm
0: sure it probably has a new cover by now, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it does. It does.
0: Yeah. This, this is an old version. We got this when our kids were little and uh, like the pages are yellowed and my wife and I, this really um, helped. And I think I actually got the original book too. I couldn't find that, but I love it. It's just very um, simple, easy to follow advice. That's extremely helpful.
2: Yeah. You know, I was actually home sweating the small stuff while Richard was writing. (laughs) He was after, I think that was about the third book in the series and he was really on the road a lot writing us books from the road and we would talk in the mornings and I'd be like, Oh, you got to write about this. You have to write about that. (laughs) Mm Yeah. um, yeah. He had a really nice, just very simple, easy to, um, follow kind of a life practice sort of way of writing. Um, it Mm -hmm. was, yeah, he had a really beautiful, simplistic approach to the way he he talked about life and the way he taught
0: yeah, I, I, I can say I really appreciate it. It, it really helped me a lot. Um, one of the questions I was ask you, because like, I think the subtitle of the first book was, And It's All Small Stuff.
1: Yep.
2: So
0: what does that mean? What is the philosophy of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff?
2: You know, it, it comes from an um, ancient, it's like a translated Buddhist saying. Um, I don't know the Buddhist uh, language for it, but that's where Don't Sweat the Small Stuff comes from. So it's it's more the idea of really being okay with life as it is. And I think a lot of times what people do is we get caught up in the things that don't matter and it takes our life energy and focus away from what really truly does matter to us because we just, our minds are just like monkeys and they gravitate toward what's wrong with life versus looking at what's right with life. And it isn't all small stuff, but I'd say when, you know, there's a certain vantage point where it is, if you were evolved enough, if I was evolved enough, I would see it as all small stuff because human life is a temporary state and we're here for a short period of eternity. And this is, you know, I mean, we all take it all too seriously. I mean, and yet there are some big things that happen to us, like the loss of our loved ones and other losses. I mean, certainly people who go through huge change are not going through small changes to deal with in their lives. But after you get through it, um, you realize when you're going through something big, you're certainly not sweating the small stuff. You know, you're, you're really living through and you're challenged and you're accessing all the tools that you have for resiliency when you're um, going through something like that. So, I think it, it's interesting because when you go through something big, a big loss in your life, you do realize how instantly your perspective changes on everything, right?
0: Yeah. There's, there were so many good points in what you just said there. You know, um, I, I agree. And it's when I work with clients, one of the things is, I was just talking about something earlier, it's all small stuff depending on what your perspective is, right? If you can pull back far enough and whatever you're going through, whatever the worst thing is, that's big. But when something, you know, truly monumental happens, like the, the passing of your husband or the passing of my daughter, then it puts everything else into perspective. Um, so I, I really like the idea of like if we can get that perspective. What you said about if we're if, if we can become evolved enough or reach a certain level, then we can realize that it's it all it's all temporary
2: it is all temporary and even you know the things that we go through internally the monumental things that we go through internally i mean sometimes you can go through a really big transformation and internal shift and you didn't even have any great loss or maybe you move and you move out of a house that you loved and you start to grieve that place and you realize that you're so attached you know that 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 was your anchor and I think that you know everything that happens in our lives, as hard as it is, is somehow happening for us. And when you can look at life like that, it doesn't make it any easier when you're dealing with a loss, when you're dealing with the instant news of a loss, especially you're in that early time of grief. You're not going to say, oh, whoopee, yay, this happened to me. <laughs> Nobody says that. Right. We all sit in a place of why did this happen? We all sit in a place of self-pity for a while and sadness because this is our human nature is to be attached to people we love and we want them here with us. We don't want to have to live our lives without them physically present because we're physical human beings. And Mm -hmm. yet I always find that what helped me a lot was to realize that in my life, when Richard was alive, I was so incredibly blessed. And I remember having many long talks with myself early on in my grieving process. And it kind of, I said, Chris, geez, you know, you, you had the most incredible love, the most incredible life. And now you've got this, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this? Like, like are you going to just fall down and sit in a puddle and just stay in the puddle and, you know, commiserate with your misery forever and, No, you know, you're going to go through a process of healing, you're going to go through loss, and you're going to come out the other side, hopefully someday, and you're going to be a better person for it. And that's what my hope was, as I grieved, my hope Mm -hmm. was that I was learning, and I was growing, and I was, you know, things positive were happening amidst this heartbreaking sorrow of losing the person that I felt was my person, you know? (laughs) So, yeah. I can't even imagine what you went through, Brian. I mean, losing your beautiful daughter behind you. It just, I just, to me, that's just, I think about that. And when I heard, first heard um, that Richard had died, when I got that phone call, my only thought that brought me back into my body was, oh my God, I I have my girls. Mm -hmm. That was what saved my life really, I think.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't mean to pry, but um, was this passing sudden something that you weren't prepared for?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. He um, he went to San Francisco Airport the night before a book tour, and he stayed because he got on a 6 a.m. flight to New York. And um, on the descent of that flight, he died from a pulmonary embolism.
0: Mm, sorry
2: wow. so that's a blood clot that travels from your leg to your lung, and on a descent of a flight, it's lethal it it just explodes and then you die instantly so yeah, it was very and un- we were very completely unprepared it was it was sudden loss, so. Yeah.
0: Well, you and I were talking before we, before we started recording and we we're talking about, you know, the loss of my daughter and, and you were, and with the loss of your spouse. And sometimes we tend to compare, you know, losses. And you were saying, I can't imagine losing a child. And I was talking with a, a woman who had lost both a child and a spouse. And she was saying losing a spouse is, is worse. So it, it's all, it's all the same and it's all different. Right. But uh, that sudden loss, I can definitely relate to where it's like one moment, everything in life is fine. And then the next moment you realize my life has, has changed forever.
2: Yeah. And so has your future dreams and, you know, everything has changed. Um, and I think like the hardest thing I believe to reconcile and loss is the loss of your future. And also most people want, they're trying so hard to get back to the life that they had. Mm-hmm. And it's an impossibility. Both are impossibilities. You can't see your future for a long time and you, and you can't get past, go back to your past. There's an, there's no negotiation in that. So I think that's where a lot of times we get stuck is in that longing for what we can't have either in either place. It puts us in that middle ground of, you know, feeling really stuck. Like, what do we do? We can't have what we want in our future. And we're not going to renegotiate our past. So, we have to create a, a new future. We have to heal first and create a new future from the present moment. And one of the ironic things, Brian, that I found was that my husband had taught the world and Oprah how to be present. And I somehow missed that lesson from, him. <laughs> and I wasn't living very present when he died. I was thinking, Oh, I have 50 years with Richard, you know? So mm-hmm. it really, but during my loss and during my grieving process, I realized after a year, of how presently I had learned to live in grief. And I thought that was so powerful that Richard had taught me that through the loss of him to live presently, because I really was very uh, early realizing that the tools that I had were present. I just wasn't practicing them. So I started to practice really living presently because living in my future was far too painful and living in my past was far too painful Mm-hmm. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I felt like, okay, I can handle the present moment. You know, even when yeah. I'm grieving, I can handle the present moment because I'm not torturing myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that is a great point. You know, uh, actually just this morning, I was doing a meditation about being in the present and there's nothing like grief to bring you into the present because it just as you said, you, you know, you can't change the past so we can torture ourselves by trying to go back there. In those early days, we can't even imagine what the future is going to be like. In fact, sometimes we don't even want there to be a future.
2: No. So
0: all we can do is focus on right where we are right now, and that that is a a valuable lesson if we can learn to carry that forward, even as we're healing from the grief. But as as human beings, we naturally think about the future of our kids. We think about the future with our spouse. It's part of you know we have to we have to do that some, but it's really important to live in that in that present moment. Absolutely. uh, I would ask you, so after living you know, with, with the, the whole franchise of the Don't Sweat, the Small Stuff books and, and everything, I would imagine, and I even heard a little bit of indication, that built some resiliency in you before Richard even passed. So did you feel like you were at least a little better prepared?
2: Yeah, you know, people um, over the years have always asked me, is there a way to prepare for loss? And I, I say, well, the only way I know to prepare is how you live presently, because you know, if you practice um, a really powerful life of gratitude, and you are working on your soul and working on your spirituality and developing your faith muscles, you know, your your practice of spirituality for me is is everything mm-hmm. to um, how you're going to transcend these circumstances. You know, I I grew up in a very Christian household, but when I met my husband my whole ideas about life opened up and I was reading books from Ram Dass about be here now. And I was reading Wayne Dyer, the erroneous zones. And I was reading all these, you know, learning about all these cool therapies. I went from Oregon to Southern California. I'm sure it was my parents' worst nightmare in a lot of ways, although they did love Richard. I mean, (laughs) they absolutely loved him, but I had, we were kind of um, grew up in the cusp of the new age movement. And so Mm -hmm. I'd say by the time Richard and I were, um, parents, we had done every modality of healing that ever was known to man. We'd done everything, you know, Reiki and breath work, holotropic breath work, Mm -hmm. rebirthing, you know, we'd done psychotherapy. We were meditators. I mean, we were very, very, um, healed (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by the time we became parents and, and, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's such a journey. And I think, the, but all of those things and, and my study and our, and our personal study together and our spiritual beliefs and our philosophy of life and how we lived life, it was all very solid and rock solid in both of us. And yeah. I definitely had this just true belief and knowledge that this wasn't an accident like I, I didn't want to accept it initially, but I just was like, you know what? He didn't just die. He, he's, 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 he's passed to where he's supposed to be, you know, like I didn't want him to be there. I didn't want him to go there at this time. To me, it was 50 years too early, but somehow there was something in me that said, this is, this is not an accident. This is meant to be, you know, and, and, um, and I just had to hold on to that faith that I was pretty pissed at God for a while. Like I, you know, think that's pretty normal. I was pretty pissed at the whole situation, but then Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. said, you know, something good's going to come out of this for me. I just know it, it has to because Richard was amazing and he was, he was, his life to me was um, changed who I am, you know, changed my life and who I am as a woman by being married to him and being loved by him. And, sharing life with him. So I, I thought his death has to mean just as much. And it sure did. It really blew my world wide open. I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? You know, how that happens. And, I, I, you know, and the thing is, as I'm teaching people resiliency and living in the present moment, all that stuff, it, it dawned on me, it's like, You don't have to go through grief in order to pick up these tools. You can pick them up earlier. And for someone like yourself, you know, even though you weren't preparing for this loss in particular, you were building those spiritual muscles, as you said, to get yourself ready for whatever. And resilience is resilience. And we can build that at any time through these these great practices like you talked about. And, you know, books like Don't Sweat the Small Stuff can be very helpful and, and very practical day-to-day ways to, to, to get that mindset of living in the present, of, of practicing gratitude. um, And, you know, and looking at life, as you said, okay, I, this is not what I wanted to happen, but I believe it was meant to happen. And that, that's something I think is really uh, profound.
2: It is. I think the other thing, Brian, that I realized is after I healed you know, after I really went through grief, I realized I I wrote a book called From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy. And I realized Mm -hmm. like how important Joseph Campbell's work has been to the world and how there really is this mythical hero's journey that many of us decide to walk, you know, many of us decide to take that path. and And it's, it's within us. It's not like he points to that. It's not like it's, it's not like he designed it. It's like this, this human design that, It's in our DNA to choose either to be a victim or to be a a hero in our own circumstances. And it's not as if we choose once, we have to choose it every day and choose it many times a day. It's like choosing to be present. It's not like you can say, Oh, I'm going to live presently today. It's like, you have to say, I'm going to live presently now and now and now and now and now and now and now, and it's an ongoing process. And, it's so interesting because i realized that i um as i walked this path of you know choosing to allow these circumstances to turn me into a better person um i also realized something really profound and that was that when we love life first life itself it, it's like there's something biblical i remember as a child saying you have to love god first before anything else and mm-hmm. And I never really understood that because I thought, no, you love your partner. You love, you know, people you love, you know, and, but, but now I understand that loving God is the same as loving life itself, the very nature of what life is. And when we can have that great love affair with our lives, it doesn't mean we don't hurt and loss. It doesn't mean we don't grieve, but it means that we've always got something really profound to return to. And that because life itself is our greatest love and everything else is part of that. And when I really discovered that in myself, it changed everything for me. It changed that I had everything was my future dream now because I, I love my life. And so the question then became, well, what do I love about my life? And what do I love now? And what may, what is fun? And what brings me joy? And what do I feel passionate about? You know, These are the things that drive me now versus, you know, my life was different when I was married to Richard and I had, was growing children. You know, it was all about the family. It was about support. It was about building a life, you know, now it's all about just living as fully and as presently and as powerfully as I can and how I can serve.
0: Wow. That was, yeah, that's so incredible what you just said. Um, First of all, the thing about loving God, you know, because I I grew up in, in the church also with Sunday school and you're told God is a big man in the sky. You're told to fear God and you're told in this and then you're told to love God more than anything. But as we as we study these different traditions and we get different views of God as as love. I mean people that have NDEs come back and say, the only word I can use for God is love, or life is another word we might use, or source. And so loving just spirit. that spirit, just mm-hmm. loving that is what we're supposed to love. And another and thing you said that I thought was really incredible is when we love our life, sometimes we like certain things about our life. I like this about my life as opposed to just loving life. And those things are all going to pass. You know, when you have children, as you do, and as I do, you know, I tell people, you know, my daughter passed away, but even if she hadn't, they grow up, you know, they don't stay three or four years old, they become different people, they become adults, we we move on to different phases of our lives, we become, you know, grandparents and stuff like that. So that's always changing what's what was constant is that that love that we can have for life. So that, I love that. what you, what you said about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I try to really share that message as much as possible, especially mm-hmm. for people who are in loss because it's, it's not a time where you do love life. You know, it's not a time that right. feels magical. It feels very painful and, and it, it hurts so bad. But I also don't feel like anybody, you can't take advice from somebody who hasn't lived through it, you know, like, you can only look to people, that's why it's so important the work you're doing, you know, parents who have lost a child, don't really want to hear from somebody, another person that's lost anything but a child, understandably, because, you know, while we don't compare our losses, I do believe that they are different in some capacity, I bring, think grief is the same Grief is a very painful uh, transformational process that we go through to heal us, you know. And and I, but I do think that um, I, I kind of lost my train of thought on. That. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. That doesn't happen to me very often, but I don't know. It just. Whoosh! <laughs> Well, we're
0: talking about the love of life, and the thing is that we go through different circumstances in life, and and there are times when yeah, we don't love our circumstances, you know, so much. Um So it's that it's that returning to that core of of knowing who you are and and of loving that, and that is and that sounds some to some people maybe conceited or selfish, but once we start to, I think, develop spiritually, realize that that God they told us about is actually right here.
2: Oh yeah, and, for sure. And
0: we, and we and that's turning in and, and knowing who we are. But I, w- I was just talking with a, a mother earlier today who's um, had gone through the loss of a child, and she was saying, you know, Brian, I have to tell you, this, sometimes I just don't really want to be here. You know, I just yeah. and I'm like, yeah, of course, me too. And I was telling her about this. There's a line from a song it's been going for six and a half years in my head that plays about where do we? It's from a, a song called "Games People Play" by Alan Parsons. And it's like, where do we go from here now that all the children have grown up and nobody cares about us? And I wake up in that morning and that that line is in my head. And I But but I'm like, I choose not to stay there. You know, it's you you mentioned earlier, it's a choice as to how we view life. So I'm like, okay, we're not going to stay there. We're going to live in in the moment. We're going to live in the present. And what can I do going forward carrying my daughter with me, which is why she's always in my background, because I'm still trying to make her proud. I, I believe that what happened to her was not an accident. Um, That it wasn't something that was done to me. It was something that was done to reveal, you know, what I can become and what we can become, you know, in, in the light of that loss.
1: We'll get back to Grief to Growth in just a few seconds. Did you know that Brian is an author and a life coach? If you're grieving or know someone who is grieving, his book, Grief to Growth, is a best selling, easy to read book that might help you or someone you know. People work with Brian as a life coach to break through barriers and live their best lives. You can find out more about Brian and what he offers at www.grieftogrowth.com, www.grief, the number two, growth.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com, slash grieftogrowth, www.patreon.com, slash grief, the number two, o w t h to make a financial contribution. And now, back to Grief to Growth. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says, send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think.
2: That's exactly right. I know it's one of the things that Richard always said to me. He said, um, about in October, he died in December of 2006, and in October, we're walking, and he said, he turned to me, and he was like, Chris, and I'm like, what, honey? And he said, You know what I love about the human spirit? And I said, What? And he said, I love that there are people in this world that take their greatest tragedy and they allow it to move them forward in their lives so that their lives have greater meaning than they might wow. have otherwise had. Wow. And that says it all. You know, it was like he it was like he was looking at me, making sure I was listening, giving me his final instruction. Mm-hmm. you know, and then he died suddenly three months later, you know, so I I was, I'm glad that I was really present when he said that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And because it was things like that, that came back to me as my greatest teachers and my greatest moments of healing, and helped give me the guiding posts that I needed to get on track, you know, to be on track, so that I could, you know, arrive in a place where I could be useful to the world, you know, and, and helpful to other people and hold out that, that light of hope. Oh yeah. That's what I was alluding to is that you can't take advice from somebody who hasn't been there before you. It's impossible, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mm -hmm. you want to know that they've gone through the same kind of suffering, the same pain that you've been through, you know, and then you can listen to them because you go, okay, you understand me. I don't know if you've had that experience, but I I used to get really mad when people who hadn't been through the same kind of loss that I'd been through would give me advice about going through loss. I feel
1: like you don't
2: even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. there's
0: a grief counselor i won't name him because he's very famous but um he <laughs> was a grief counselor and then uh his son passed and he's like i didn't know what i was doing until you know i went through it myself I, and it's interesting because sometimes frankly i feel a little bit like i am not qualified because i don't have a phd and i'm not a am not a you know a psychotherapist
1: oh, but me i have too. been <laughs>
0: yeah but i've been through it right i'm i'm a human being and i've 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 observed the human condition i've done quite a bit of studying about it, and i've been through it, So when a, when a mother says to me, I really don't want to be here, you know, someone else might say, well, oh, you're, you're suicidal, I need to put you on suicide watch, or you're depressed, no. you know, it's like, no, that's just a normal thing that happens to parents when their children transition, you want to be where your child is. Um, it's, Same it's thing when your spouse
2: does too, you don't, exactly. you really don't want to be here. But if you have children, they do give you that reason to be here. You know, you, you do you do think about them first. And, mm-hmm. and then some people say, well, you're so lucky you have children and you are because they give you the reason to be here. But then you have to deal with the grief that they have and, and your grief at the same time. And I'm sure right. you felt that as a family too. Your whole family mm-hmm. you know, was in grief and I'm sure your wife was just deeply suffering.
0: Yeah, exactly. And but it's also one of those times when you have to step outside of yourself, right? So for me, it was like, okay, I want to be where Shayna is, but I still have Kayla and my wife here. Wow. So I need to be here. I need to be here for my parents who were, you know, going through the loss of a grandchild. So it it really kind of brings us all together. And and grief can be a very shared experience. And I tell people we need to share it with each other and and tell each other how we're feeling so we can all heal together and we're all going through our own personal things.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's quite an education, isn't it?
0: It is. It's a real, it's a real, I you know for me, it, it was kind of like you. And and I think it's interesting if we look back and we think about life usually sets us up for these things, you know, totally. so in your case, you had, you know, you and Richard with the don't sweat, the small stuff books and him being who he was uh, and and all the stuff that he's teaching and that, and that, remark he made a few months before he passed, which we look back and Shayna said similar things, you know, about not being afraid of death and how she wanted to be buried. She was only 15. You know, she made a comment like that a few weeks before she passed. And we can see life kind of set us up for this. So I studied a lot about about the afterlife before Shayna passed, because I had a personal fear of, of death. And so I knew similar to what you did when she when she passed, I was like, I was never where is she? is she okay? You know, will I ever see her again? I was able to not have to go through that. It doesn't mean I got to bypass grief entirely. But I didn't have that that issue, at least and I I hear the same thing coming from you
2: yeah i um I also had an interesting my whole life. It seemed like I was always talking to people that had near death experiences. It was the weird it's the weirdest thing like I would get in these conversations with people from the time I was in high school. I mean it's just so strange mm-hmm. i'd I'd bump into these people in weird places or weird meetings or business meetings, and then they suddenly would start sharing their near death experience with me and I think why are they telling me this? And this has happened for the fifth time. And, and, um, and I one time had to got a, I got to have a um, conversation with um, this woman that wrote Embraced by the Light. And did you ever mm-hmm. come across that book? Yes. Um,
0: yes. Yeah. Is that Betty Edie
2: Yes, Betty Edie And so mm-hmm. I talked to her on the phone once and, and, and really, it was just, you know, incredible. I was really very interested in near death experience. So I did have a sense too, of, of what life after life, what our afterlife or our permanent life is like, and and, and it helped me a lot because it also, for me, um, I had a lot of really crazy spiritual experiences after Richard's death, where he was right around me, and I could, I mean, it just like some real weird things, you know, where he was very, like, I could see lights, and other people could see them too, and you know, just crazy stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like, so, and I think some of that is just that, you know, when your belief is the way it is, it opens you you up and the veil becomes very thin and they can really reach you and, and mm-hmm. you can reach them. And, and it was very important for me to know that Richard still was present with me, that I wouldn't be without him. It was one of the ways that I, um, I, w- I really carried forward my relationship with him instead of thinking of death as the end, I really did think of it as a transitional change in our relationship, mm-hmm. you know, and and one that, you know, wasn't accidental, but maybe even a soul contract between us. So,
0: yes, I, can, I completely uh, resonate with everything you just said. And you, you talked earlier about the hero's journey, which is something I use a lot. I talk to people a lot about because people will say to me, well, why would I why would I choose something like this? I, I wouldn't choose this life. I would choose a nice, steady life where, you know, I got to live to 95 years old and got to die in bed with my spouse next to me, you know, both in our sleep, you know, something like that. That's the life I would choose. But I think that the hero's journey tells us that human beings, we, we like the adventure. And, I, and I, I, the analogy I'll use with people, like if, you, if there was a movie that came out and nothing ever happened to the hero, Nothing bad ever happened. You wouldn't even watch it. Nobody would care. We always want to see them get into trouble, get in a situation where it looks like there's no way they can get out. The worse the situation, the better the outcome, and the better the ending of the movie is. And I think I believe that we plan our lives kind of similarly. We say, let's 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 plan an adventure. Now I, I'm, I'm not an adventurous person. Like I would never go skydiving. I don't even like to travel. Me neither.
2: I, I, I love to travel, but I won't go skydiving and I won't go into a shark tank either. My my friend is doing that this weekend, my girlfriend. I'm like, why are you doing that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need so, to scare myself. Life is plenty scary. <laughs>
0: exactly. But but I believe that and, and Shana, Shana was the adventurous one. She was the one that wanted to have all the experiences and, and stuff like that. So I, I've come around to the point now where I'm like, yeah, I can see why I would plan this. I can see why. I would want to test my resilience. I would, and we, and, but we don't, we don't come in unarmed, right? So you you talk about these little things, I call them Easter eggs, like, you know, just kind of hidden in there to to show us that the matrix is really just the matrix. So like, you know, Dr. Carlson making that comment, you know, to you right before he passed, which was like, this is going to come back to you when you need it. You know, this is going to be there that you're going to see. This wasn't an accident.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. There's, there's, it's interesting. Cause when you think of how would your soul, you know, if your soul is the essence of who you are and it, it is without your ego, you know, without your identity, your soul is just the light within you that carries forward your life, no matter whether you're in a body or not. If you think yeah. about that, that there's a soul plan, how would your soul plan it out? Knowing that you're always going to be safe because soul is out forever. So soul is going to be safe from harm, no matter what And this physical life that we choose as a human being is very short term. Mm-hmm. Um, con- con- when you consider eternity, it's very short term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you think about what, what the soul choose for growth, that's a different way of looking at life. And, and then you can begin to think of, well, if my soul is eternally in love and and our love is what binds us to others our love is the string it's the it goes back to the string theory even and, and you know you think about how connected we are forever to somebody in love and what would the soul choose and how would the soul choose to serve and how are these two or 10 or 100 souls going to serve each other in this life then it starts to kind of begin to make some sense that the soul would be choosing human form as an adventure and that it wants to be physical for a time. It wants to be alive. And what is alive is, is feeling life. It's feeling all of the emotions of life. It's feeling the depth of joy that we can feel the depth of sorrow. It's feeling our physicality, our sexuality, our way that we get to eat great food, we get to enjoy, you know, the physical senses. And mm-hmm. so if you think about it that way, then it, it's comforting, because it just means this is really a soul journey for a while, you know, our soul chose this for a while, but not for very while, for very long, and our souls have different journeys. So
0: yeah, yeah, I, I always use it. My listeners get sick or get sick of hearing this, but I use it all the time because it's something I learned from Shana. We love to play video games. And so we would play Mario Brothers and you know, Shana would pick you up and throw you in the lava, you know, and, <laughs> it, it, and she was just always like the ruthless one. And after she passed, I realized, you know, artless life is kind of like a video game, you know, because when, when Mario dies on the screen, nobody mourns Mario. It's just like you're sitting on the couch. Mario is just an avatar. He's just a, a representation of you. And that's what our bodies, I believe, are. And I do believe we come to experience a whole gamut of things. And I love music. I, I mean, I listen to music constantly. My whole life was like a, like a soundtrack. And I, I think about this sometimes. Why do we listen to sad music? Because there's something we like about exploring those depths of of the of their soul. We, we we say, well, no, no, I would never want to be sad. I would never choose sadness. But we do. We watch sad movies. Yeah. We watch we watch movies that, that make us cry because we want to feel that that emotion. We wanna and it and it gives us the contrast with the joy that we experience. So if we can just step back a little bit, you know, and have that higher perspective as you talked about earlier it can start to make some sense and it can make things more palatable you know, more easy, a little bit easier to get through.
2: Oh yeah. And how, I mean, how important is it for us all to become empathic, compassionate human beings and the way to compassion, you know, the shortest way to compassion is to go through something and then realize what it feels like to go through that. And then you feel that sense of empathy and compassion for others that are going through that. So you know, that's, that's our humanity. That's what it means to be connected to humanity. That's how we connect, you know, we connect through our suffering, and we connect through our joys, we all suffer the same things, and we all receive joy from the same things. That's where Mm -hmm. we are connected, forget all the politics and the divisiveness of Mm -hmm. ego, you know, forget that, because that's just all, you know, that's just all the small stuff that people get caught up in. But What's real is the things that we value and what we value, you know, from our soul and from our hearts and and what do we really want in our lives? You know, we all kind of really want the same things.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think when, when it comes down to it. So I'd like to talk about some of the work you do. I know you, you lead women, women's retreats. I am i don't know if you're back to doing that now since COVID wiped I out. I
2: am. Okay. Yeah, I am. I am doing retreats again. I'm starting because we can COVID test um, two days before. So that's the requirement is just that everyone takes a COVID test. Of course, we would um, love people to be vaccinated, but the requirement is really to be COVID free. So Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're doing retreats again. I um, I do have a program that I just launched called Twenty One Days of Grieving with Grace with Christine Carlson. Um, it's just twenty one dollars. It's a dollar a day, and I created that um, after the Lifetime movie because I wanted to have something available for people that um, I felt would be super helpful that were in deep grief to kind of mm-hmm. give them a guidepost every day for twenty one days, at least everything that I learned in grief and and give them inspiration and hope. And, and I have a number of books and courses and all sorts of stuff at christinecarlson.com.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the lifetime movie. How did that come about? And how, how did that go?
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. wwwgrief the 2 slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it.
2: Well, you know, it's a long journey. Um, we bumped into a gal named Maura Dunbar about 21 years ago. Um, she came to Richard. She had um, discovered his books, his Don't Sweat the Small Stuff books, when she mm-hmm. was in grief. Um. Mm-hmm ironically, I don't think they're very, I know we never thought they were grief books, but so many people have come to us and said, yeah, they, they really helped me through grief, I guess, Mm -hmm. because people didn't want to read grief books. They were too sad. They wanted to read life books about how to live life. Exactly. So they found the don't sweat series that way. And she did. And so she wanted, she's, she wanted to, um, she's a producer and she wanted to sell don't sweat, the small stuff as a television sitcom. And so she did, and she sold it to ABC, but, um, was going to be a sitcom based on our lives with, Mm -hmm. and we're raising two young children and it was going to be a little bit comic, you know, comedy, um, based on, you know, an author who writes these don't sweat the small stuff books, but he's really sweating the small stuff at home sometimes like everyone else. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, and then the new executive came in and they, they didn't want to do it. And then we were like, Phew. You know, because we thought that would have been way too much pressure for our kids to grow up with after we really figured it out. Oh, yeah. We were like, really, we were sweating that, you know, we we're like, maybe this isn't the right thing. And then, um, you know, fast forward, Richard died. Um, I don't know. It must have been about seven years later. And she came back to me and she, she wanted to visit me and just touch in with me. But then she said, I really want to still do something with this if you'll allow me to. And I said, sure, I'm open to whatever, you know, as long as I can take a look at it and make sure it's in alignment with us and our brands and our Mm -hmm. brand. And so, um, she then sold it to Sony television and then they had it for two years and didn't do anything with it. And then, um, she came back again, you know, four years later and she said, Hey, um, lifetime has asked for the rights to don't sweat the small stuff. Um, we want to, you know, write something that is, you know, really positive for the brand and will you let mm. us do it? And so I said, Yeah. And they wrote this story and I read the story, the script, and I was like, eh, it's an okay story. And <laughs> but they didn't like it either. And so, um, they then more I said, Hey, we want to do your story. We think you have the don't sweat the small stuff story. Mm. And so I was like, Wow, okay. You know, I mean, I'm sharing my story for years. Why not? You know, and and um, I talked to my daughters about it and they were all on board. You know, they were, they're grown now, you know, they're, this is 15 years later. So they're grown Mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah, it's fine. I think it's great for you. Let's, let's, yeah, do it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how it came about. It was pretty crazy. And then, you know, it was a lot of trust though. I have to say it's scary because you don't, I worked very closely with the writer, um, Shannon Coleri, wonderful woman, just became great friends with her and worked very closely with her. And of course, I felt like Mora was such a steward for our brand, and she definitely had my back. But it is very scary because, you know, you get that script back and there's a lot of there's truth. It's based in an event of truth, but there's all this fiction written around it. And it's just like, you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is it, it's scary. It's like you don't know how you're going to be depicted. You don't know who they're going to choose to play you it's a real leap of faith. And I'm very happy to say it worked out. Like it Mm -hmm. really did work out. I felt like Heather Locklear was a great pick for me. I think she put her whole heart and soul into the um, part, playing the part, learning who I am as a woman and how she could best portray me. And we became instant friends i mean it awesome. was crazy because with the media really picked up on the friendship that developed between us
1: mm-hmm.
2: um in this whole process and there was just this whole all these articles that came out and people and everywhere about this friendship that developed between us yeah it's
1: great
2: <laughs> yeah it was wonderful and it, and the film was wonderful i i really it, it's a fluffy version of grief you know like like people asked me i had a premiere um real premiere celebration of it Uh, two days before it came out and people came up to me and they said, wow, is that really hard for you to watch it? And I'm like, nah, it was really hard to live through. Not so hard to watch.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm so glad you had that experience because we hear so often about how it's not that great of experience and how it's not, you know, it's not, and we know it's not real life. We know they add things to it, but it's good to talk to someone who had their life depicted and, and was happy with the outcome.
2: Yeah. I mean, it really did portray um, the essence of a lot of stuff, the essence of my relationship with Richard. You know, I thought Jason McDonald did a great job portraying Richard, although Richard was a lot more goofy and a lot more playful. I mean, it's hard for an actor to get all those aspects of a personality of somebody. But, you Mm -hmm. know, I thought there was an elegance and a sophisticated um quiet self-confidence that jason picked up on that he really did a great job portraying that was the essence of who richard was in the public Mm -hmm. and he and he was that way but he was a lot more playful and private like with his kids and stuff um and then the girls i just thought they did a great job they were great little actresses i mean natasha bure wow she's she's somebody to watch she's just an incredible they're both just incredible actresses Mm -hmm. um they had a great chemistry as a family. And I felt like, yeah, this could have been our family. This is like how it kind of was, you know? So it was good. I think that they picked up on some really key themes um, for families going through loss too, that it's not just the, you know, it's a family grieving process. The whole family is in grief and it, you know, it's so much dies with a person, you know, so much dies. And, And there's so many things that die for each of us, you know, our hopes and dreams, even things that didn't have anything to do, you know, like my, my daughter had a difficult time playing soccer, she was a soccer player, you know, and they showed that, you know, one of my daughters was a great student and had a difficult time in school after he died, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. your dreams die for a while. And it's hard, you don't just pick up the pieces in a week, it takes a long time to pick up those pieces.
0: Well, I'm glad that they were able to portray that. It's grief is a it's a it's a difficult thing to portray, and it's usually portrayed either to one extreme or the other. And as you said, it's it's complicated. It impacts all of us differently. It has ripples that we don't even imagine. Tr- things trigger us that you know we would have never imagine were going to trigger us. We'll we'll be driving somewhere, you know, five years later, hear a song or see something, and it just it takes us right back to that moment. Uh So it's good that that they were able to. Under, let people understand that kind of what this is like.
2: Yeah. And if you haven't watched it, you know, it's don't sweat the small stuff, the Christine Carlson story. You can just go on. If you've got direct TV or cable or something, you can just search it. It should pop right up.
0: Yeah. I, I definitely plan to watch it. Um, and it's, it's been such a, an honor meeting you. It's it's like it says, you. when you reached out to me, I was like, Oh yeah. The don't sweat the small stuff books. I, I still remember reading this book. It was when our girls were little, and I am, I am a, a warrior by nature, I'm, I blow things, you know, way out of proportion. And it's been one of these, It's been one of the lessons I've had to try to learn, you know, myself. So talking to someone who is, um, who's lived through that, and then, you know, I was going to ask you earlier, but you kind of covered it before we even got started. You know, you, you write these books, don't sweat the small stuff, and and then, you know, the loss of a spouse, and it's like, how does that relate? you know, the small stuff to the big stuff. But we talked about that. It's, it's really a matter of perspective, you know, and keeping everything kind of in front of you.
2: Yeah, I'm going to say you're living the big stuff, you're never sweating the small stuff.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Christine, it's been it's been a pleasure to have you uh, tell people again, where they can find out more about you. I know you have a couple of websites. I just want to make sure we get it on the recording because sometimes people don't read the show notes.
2: Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. You can um, look for us at don'tsweat.com or christinecarlson.com. And that's Christine with a K and Carlson with a C.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for being here and have a great rest of your day. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Brian. Take care. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com/grief2growth. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot slash grief. The number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grief2growth.com.